welcome to the Better Boundaries podcast brought to you by Utahns for Responsive Government. The goal of season two is to keep you updated and informed about Utah's ongoing fight for independent redistricting. Additionally, we'll feature guests that are experts in government accountability and Utah's political landscape. My name is Katie Wright, and I'm the executive director of Better Boundaries and your host. In today's episode, we will speak with an attorney in the lawsuit filed against the Utah legislature over redistricting, Mr. David Ryman from Parr, Brown, Gee, and Loveless. In full disclosure, Better Boundaries is supporting the case financially, but is not a plaintiff in the lawsuit. Thank you for listening, and please enjoy this episode. David, thank you for joining me today. And to start us off, you are part of a litigation team that has filed a complaint with the Utah State Court. And I want to hear about the complaint, of course, and the plaintiffs and the other legal experts. But before that, we'd like to hear about you. Tell us a little bit about your legal experience. Um, so I'm, I work at a firm that's it's a large firm in, in town. We do all kinds of, of uh, civil litigation and transactional work. I've been there for um, going on 24 years, so it's it's been a while and, and uh, tried a lot of different types of cases and, and uh, appeals. Um, and one of the benefits of being at a, you know, at a large firm is that um, in addition to, to doing um, the type of work that you typically associate with those types of firms, um, sort of business disputes and things of that nature, you, you when you're in a big enough shop, you have the ability to do some other types of things. So I've always tried to do a, a decent amount of pro bono work in my career and and um, things that I believe in. And and um, uh, and so that's um, that that's one of the reasons that I you know I'm able to do this type of case in addition to you know other types of things that I um, that I have I've done over the years. Excellent. And I know that um, both you and Par Brown and also Zimmerman and Boer are doing taking on this really complex case at a very generous low bono rate. So why in particular does gerrymandering, why are you passionate about gerrymandering? Well, so part of it is just the more, even outside of the context of gerrymandering, I feel like, you know, as lawyers, we have ethical obligations to um, provide help to people um, and organizations and, and causes that can't necessarily afford um, to pay lawyers at whatever the rate they would normally charge. So I feel like that's an obligation every lawyer takes on. It's in our ethical rules. Um, some lawyers are better at it than others, but um, it feels it, it has always been a sort of a, a fundamental part of the way I've approach things. And, and sometimes you can refer to it as karmic cleansing, where, you know, sometimes you're fighting fights that don't necessarily have a good and a bad or a moral and a immoral side. And um, to be able to help people that, you know, otherwise wouldn't be able to afford lawyers is, um, is important and always has been important to me. And I do a lot of that in the First Amendment and media law space, uh, government transparency, which sort of is kind of connected a little way to the specific part of your question, which is why gerrymandering. And I kind of feel like, um, and I've always felt like, it's really important for people, no matter what jurisdiction you're in or what your party affiliation is, 
um, to feel like their vote matters um, and to um, feel like participating in this democracy that, that we live in is important. And uh, it, it's important across a huge range of issues, but you know, you can just take one as, as cynicism. And we see that in Utah sometimes when people feel like they're their votes don't matter. And so they become jaded and they disengage from the political process. And that just entrenches um, the sort of problems even more. And so for me, you know, gerrymandering kind of cuts to the core of that because it is an intentional uh, design to try and disenfranchise people and to get people to, to disengage and to give up and just accept the status quo. And I think that's really corrosive in a democracy, and that's true no matter what party is doing it. Um, and uh, you know, voters, our our government, and we've seen this even you know um, much more in sharp relief over the past, let's say, five and a half years, um, that our democracy only works when people believe in it, um, and our rules uh, that we um, have. Uh, put in place and system of checks and balances are only as good as um, the people who are enforcing them. And so having um, widespread cynicism or feelings of disempowerment among voters is really one of the most dangerous things you can have in a democracy because it depends on people's belief in the system. And so it's always been something that um, it's not an area that I, that I had practiced in a lot before. I have done some elections law uh, cases in the past, and um, but it is something that I've always felt passionately about. So when we had the opportunity, you know, to take this on, um, and uh, the fact that we're getting paid anything is, I, I feel like, a, is a privilege to us. But you know, it's the type of cause that I think um, we should all be kind of called to. No matter what your political stripes are, we should all be kind of called to uh, uh, participate in. You know, I couldn't agree more on sort of the depth of cynicism um, here in Utah. I got a huge taste for it after the legislature adopted um, really gerrymandered maps. You know, I had emails and phone calls from really distressed Utahans from across the state who had been fighting so hard and, and really found an outcome that they um, were very angry, angered by. Um, However, we have some organizations, the plaintiffs who have that you're working on behalf of, and they clearly aren't cynical because they are really digging in and stepping up on behalf of all Utahns and serving as plaintiffs and bringing this case. Tell us about the two organizations that you're working on behalf of. So um, th those are the League of Women Voters of Utah and Mormon Women for Ethical Government. They're both nonpartisan um, groups, uh, and they both care deeply about the process, the, the fairness in the process um, uh, of government. And voting, of course, is fundamental to, to the way our, our government functions. And um, they have, uh, you know, they have advocated in nonpartisan ways, no matter what the, uh, whether it's a red state gerrymandering or a blue state gerrymandering, they're kind of um, sort of affiliate organizations, at least the League of Women Voters has chapters in many other states. Um, but their interest in this case, um, is they, they can articulate this better than I can, but their interest is, doesn't have anything to do with the fact that um, you know, they are uh, aligned with democratic causes or they feel like democratic voices and in Utah need to be elevated. It really is more 
um, sort of what I was just speaking to, which is the, the idea that voters should pick their representatives and not the other way around. And um, I think that both of them, both of those organizations have put their resources and time into this fight because they care deeply about the integrity of the process and vindicating the, the voices of voters in Utah. Um, and they, they both feel like I do um, that there's, we've become dangerously imbalanced in Utah um, in terms of the power that the people exercise and the, the uh, power that the legislature exercises and they have become very unaccountable. And I think that that is offensive to sort of the core values that both of those organizations stand for. So in addition to these two membership organizations that have, um, I think in, in total, probably over 2000 members across the state of Utah, um, there are also individual plaintiffs in the case. Tell us a little bit about them. Um, so they're, they are a group of seven individuals. They, um, uh, they come from both political parties in Utah. They are all, um, for, for various reasons, feel like they are um, their votes have been diluted um, by virtue of what the Utah legislature did in, in adopting this extreme partisan gerrymander. So I'll just give you one example. So Victoria and Malcolm Reed are married. Um, he is a Democrat. She's a Republican. They live in Mill Creek, which is where it's the sort of um, the, 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 the split happens that the four districts go sprawling out from this one place in Mill Creek. So they live they are in District 2. They live a couple blocks from uh, the border of District 1 and less than half a mile from the border of District 3. So their neighborhood is literally split up. Um, and they have different reasons for being in the, in the case. You know, um, Mr. Reed, the Democrat, um, like every other Democrat in Utah, because that this was the, by design, feels like his, his vote has been diluted. Um, by what the legislature did. And his wife feels like the, the uh, as a Republican, a moderate Republican, she feels like the what the legislature has done has made it impossible for um, Republicans who don't um, pander to the extreme right wing of the party to have a voice. Um, and that is um, that just exacerbates the sort of partisan tilt of our supermajority in, in our legislature. And those people, I, I mentioned that only because um, sometimes people think this is only about one party, you know, no matter who is in charge, but it's only about diluting one party, but it's really not because all Republicans are not the same. And um, by doing what the legislature has done, they've really marginalized not just Democrats, but also more moderate voices in the Republican party. And certainly one of the impacts that um, partisan gerrymandering has is just increased polarization because um, highly partisan gerrymandered districts tend to elect people at the extremes of the political spectrum. So we're seeing that you know, across the United States and unfortunately Utah is not immune to that. Let's get into the case. Um, the case and the complaint have really two parts. Can you walk us through what those are? Sure. Um, so there, there is essentially two things we've asked the court to do. One is to strike down the maps um, that the legislature passed, the, the partisan gerrymandered maps, and order new maps be drawn. And the second is to reinstate what the voters 
um, uh, enacted in passing Proposition 4. So those are kind of the two parts. The first one um, is a constitutional challenge under the state constitution to the maps that were enacted. So regardless of whether the voters had passed Proposition 4 to um, establish independent redistricting, um, the, the, those claims don't depend on that. They are just a, essentially a direct challenge to the maps that the legislature enacted. And the, um, the claims are that it violates four different parts of the Utah Constitution. <clears throat> and those are just really briefly, I'll mention them. There's a clause in Utah's constitution that doesn't have any analog in the federal constitution called the Free Elections Clause. And there are a number of states that have something similar. And it, it, it um, requires that all elections be free. And courts that have been inter have interpreted that type of language have said, what that means is not just that you don't have a poll tax, but that you um, a person's vote has to have, one person's vote has to have substantially the same um, voting power as another person's vote. Otherwise, it's kind of offensive to the, the nature of the sort of one person, one vote uh, concept. And when you crack districts or pack them, no matter how you do gerrymandering, you end up diluting the voting power of, um, of certain people. And anyone who's a Democrat in Utah or votes uh, Democratic knows what that feels like when you go to the polls and you feel like my vote is useless. And like I said before, that's really kind of corrosive. So that's that's one part. The uh, there's also um, a uh, an analog to the federal equal protection clause in Utah's constitution, and you know it sort of directly follows the idea that laws have to treat everyone equally. And if this is a law, these maps that were passed, it's uh, um, approved by the governor and they don't treat everyone equally. They, uh, they treat people differently based on their past political preferences and, and how they voted in the past because that's how these gerrymandered maps are drawn. They take past data on how people have voted and they um, draw the maps based on that. And then there's also a claim under Utah's um, free expression and free freedom of association sort of analogs to the First Amendment clauses that um, challenges the idea that these gerrymandered maps um, both treat people differently based on their past voting patterns, which is protected speech, um, and also prevent them from associating with like-minded voters and, and like-minded people in their communities of interest because it's literally split into four, um, four pieces um, in Salt Lake County. And the last one is there's an, actually a, an affirmative right to vote in the Utah Constitution. There's no such thing in, uh, in the federal constitution, but um, for the same reasons, we think that it violates that. The second piece, um, and we haven't talked a lot about Proposition 4, but just for anyone who's listening that doesn't know about it, the Utah voters passed um, a, an initiative, which is a very hard thing to do, um, but it was, it was a significant majority that voted in favor of establishing an independent redistricting commission to prevent exactly what the legislature did. Um, and they they did incredibly good work, very thorough, and drew maps that were act that didn't divide communities of interest that would have resulted in just one one of the four districts in Utah being actually competitive. So we're not talking about um, we're not talking about a wholesale change in in um, in the composition of the state, but it would have been more akin to what we had the last ten years, where there was at least one district in the state that was competitive. And the legislature just repealed that after it was passed by the voters, they, they repealed it and they replaced it with an extremely watered down version that essentially said they could do whatever they wanted. And that's exactly what they did. They just disregarded what the voters did. So the second piece of the case asks, 
the court to rule that it's unconstitutional for the legislature to repeal um, an initiative passed by the voters in that context because the initiative deals with the people's express power um, to reform their government. And uh, this, um, this particular type of initiative is something that is entrusted to the people in the Constitution, and there should be limits on what the legislature can do in just simply disregarding what the voters enacted. And certainly here in Utah, um, Proposition 4 was not the only initiative that went through um, sort of a repeal process with the legislature. So um, I think that people who have interest in many topics will be watching the lawsuit because of that. Um, I want to get back to the congressional map. Um, my understanding is that the complaint and the lawsuit is around the congressional and not on the state Senate or state House maps, um, although we know that those were also egregiously gerrymandered. So um, for our listeners, can you explain to that? Yeah, um, th there. Here's what I can say about it. Um, there, uh, th we are hoping through this lawsuit to establish principles under law uh, uh, by, from the court and get precedent from the Utah Supreme Court um, and the district court that will make law in this area. Uh, these are um, these are issues that have never been tested in court in Utah. They have been tested in courts in other states. Um, our decision to, to focus just on the congressional map, the, the congressional maps rather than the state maps, is not an endorsement of the state maps in any way. Um, it is simply that sometimes in order to make law in narrow areas, you have to focus on, um, on one thing and hope that that will establish examples and precedent for other Thanks. And and um, one of the things I learned as an observer of both the Independent Redistricting Commission and the Legislative Redistricting Committee is that on a federal level, we really get these partisan gerrymandering. And on a um, more local and state level, what you see is incumbency protection. And someone said to me, you know, redistricting should not be a job protection program for our legislators. But um, you could really analyze it and say that maybe that's what it was this past year. Um, I'd like to learn more about the whole legal team and you know who are the legal experts that are on this case who are representing um, League of Women Voters Utah and Mormon Women for Ethical Government and those individual plaintiffs. Sure. So the other, um, it's my my firm and one other firm in Salt Lake, uh, Zimmerman Boer, which is the preeminent. Um, appellate firm in Salt Lake. And we have known from the very start that no matter what happens, we're in district court right now um, and, you know, um, we'll hopefully get a trial um, to be able to present the evidence that um, we have gathered about how um, extreme the, the maps are that the legislature has presented. We expect to present expert testimony on that, but it, we've all always known that it eventually would end up in the Utah Supreme Court um, because no matter what happens, someone will appeal. And so we've involved a, an appellate team from the very beginning um, with an eye towards that so that uh, we um, are doing everything that we can to try and increase the chances that we succeed on appeal. Um, and the other um, uh, firm that's involved is called the Campaign Legal Center. They're a nonprofit out of Washington, D.C. 
um, in a couple other places. This is they they focus exclusively on election law issues and they filed gerrymandering cases like this in, in various different parts of the country. They're experts in this area. And um, and so they they are bringing kind of the background and experience, um, substantive experience to the case. Um, at, and uh, some of them have some Utah connections too. And so I know it's very um, personal to them as well. Um, so we feel like we've assembled a really good team and uh, you know, that's all you can do in, in litigation is you assemble a really good team, you make the best arguments you can and, and hope for the best outcome. And I feel like we've, we've done everything we can to try and ensure that the chances that um, will succeed are the best that we can. And then, you know, you just hope the, the, uh, the dice roll your way, but it's a really good team and uh, campaign legal centers doing it um, pro bono, both Zimmerman Brewer and my firm are doing it at a, at a very reduced rate. And, and I know that I'm grateful to all of the people who have, um, who have donated to this cause. It's kind of an indication of how much the people of Utah believe that what the legislature has done is improper that they're willing to support this kind of fight. Yeah, there's no doubt that there is just grassroots support across the state. And, you know, as a Utahan, sometimes we're overlooked. You can read some national articles about different lawsuits and litigation happening in, in much more highly populated states. And uh, the fact that we have both those national experts who have tried these sort of cases before and some really incredible local expertise, I think is um, something for everyone to be proud of and give us some optimism and hope. Um, so one last question for you, when will this case be heard in court? Can you tell us a little bit about the timeline, especially when it comes to congressional elections and um, you know, I know a lot of Utahns have recently voted in primaries, what is the timeline? Yeah, so we when we brought the case, we had always aimed, we knew that we didn't have time to try and get new maps drawn before this congressional cycle. Um, we're hoping to have the entire case resolved, including the appeal by um, by the beginning of the next one in early 2024. Um, right now, we're in the early stages of litigation in the district court, and the legislature has moved to dismiss the case, claiming that, like we knew they would, that the courts can't say anything the Constitution doesn't apply to them when they draw um, partisan gerrymandered maps, which we think is wrong. Um, if the court agrees with us, then we will have a trial, hopefully, um, towards the latter part of this year, um, and then an appeal will follow. But we probably will have a hearing on that argument, on the legislature's attempt to dismiss it sometime in the late summer. Um, maybe very early fall. And then so a trial, maybe it's a little optimistic to say the end of the year, but at least um, by early 2023. And then, you know, the appeal after that will take some time. But we're kind of on a longer time timeline. I mean, litigation takes time and th these are complicated issues. Um, but we should know at least in the next um, several months whether we're allowed to go forward in district court. And um, if we are, that will be a huge um, a, a huge hurdle to clear for us just procedurally, um, but I think uh, the, the evidence that we will be able to present at trial, if we're allowed to get there, will be extremely compelling and, and will confirm what most Utahns know, which is that what the legislature did was um, nakedly partisan, designed to dilute the votes of Democrats, designed to take away the one district in Utah that was competitive, and that there are constitutional limits to what it is that they do. 
Um, and I said that was my last question, but I have one more. I'd really um, love to get your thoughts on why an average Utahan, maybe someone who's struggling with rising gas prices and inflation and um, grocery store bills that are 20% more than they were, you know, two months ago, why should they care about gerrymandering? Sure, it, it's a it's a good question, and and um, people do tend to focus on their pocketbooks before these sort of more kind of uh, higher level abstract political issues. But it's really important to keep in mind that the right to vote and the right to have a meaningful vote is really fundamental to all of the other rights that we exercise. Um, if you have a government that does not um, is not responsive to issues like inflation and gas prices and things like that. If you have, if you feel like you can't go to the ballot box to try and change the things in government that you don't like, um, then the whole system breaks down. So, you know, the, the right to vote, it may take a little bit of a longer view, but the right to a meaningful vote is really sort of fundamental and grounding of all of the other issues that we deal with. And a lot of these things won't change unless people have the ability to change their government. And gerrymandering takes that away. It takes away the voters' ability to change their government and reform their government. So that's really what this case is about, is about making sure that when, you know, inflation won't be issue a couple of years from now, probably there'll be some other issue. And voters need to know that they have the ability to, to change things that are creating problems in their life. Um, and uh, while, you know, while we tend to focus on the things that are immediately in front of us in our checkbooks and things like that, we do all as participants in a democracy that, that requires our participation, need to keep in mind that we need to, to fight to make that ability meaningful. David Ryman, thank you for your time today and for your legal expertise on this very important case. For our next episode, we'll hear directly from the people who filed the complaint on how gerrymandering districts violate their constitutional rights. I'm Katie Wright, your host and executive director of Better Boundaries Utah. We hope you'll tune in and follow our podcast for the latest news on Utah's gerrymandering case. Thank you, David. Thank you.